Today, we're going to discuss how Damian Peters created multiple online media companies, lived abroad with his family in Spain, and made work optional by leveraging his nine-to-five and investing in real estate. You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, a podcast where we talk about ways to build wealth and create more freedom in your life today. I am your host, Aquania Escarnet. During Damian Peters' tech career, he led product teams at big tech companies and startups such as Facebook, aka Meta, and Zynga. In 2017, Damian was the first African-American hired to lead product at Facebook, so it's no surprise that he is an advocate for diversity in tech. Outside of his nine-to-five, he started several online media companies, with the most recent being acquired in 2022. His passion for lifestyle design led him to move his entire family to Spain for two years. Transforming his tech salary into profitable real estate investments has enabled Damien to accumulate wealth for himself and his family, earning him financial independence. Damien is smart, too. He received two degrees in computer science and economics from the University of Maryland and his MBA from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. He currently lives in Washington, D.C., where he spends most of his time with his family and is actively growing and managing his real estate portfolio. Hey, Damien, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing really good. Um, you know, long time in the making. I've known you for, for a couple of years now and um, really excited to be here. Really excited. Me too. I don't know why it took this long for me to get you on the mic, um, but because you've always had a great story. And for those that don't know, I'm going to tell you a little background about how Damien and I met. So I want to say in 2016, I got this great idea that I should become a freelance writer because I like to talk about money and I like to write. So I did a Google search, how to become a freelance writer. And Google told me to go to Upwork and post a profile and tell people why I'm so amazing and how well I write. And while I was building my profile, I actually did a search for available jobs. And you had a post up about writing for Wealth Noir, a new online magazine for Black millennials to teach them about money. And I immediately fell in love with not only the position description, but responded. And then the rest is history. We talked, I did some test articles, and four or five years later, I was still writing for you. Yeah, no, No, it's crazy. You were, um, I remember you were my first writer. And uh, even I remember thinking like, man, if I can find this caliber of people like this easily, uh, this is going to be easy. Like, you know, they're just out here um, uh, with you know, amazing backgrounds, like deep knowledge and you know, down for the mission. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 crazy how how much, you know, we've worked together in terms of like various ventures and different like, you know, formats and conferences together and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. You're also how I discovered FinCon, which thank you so much. In 2018, FinCon changed my life. And for those that don't know, that's a conference where money nerds meet. And so it's just been really good. But today we're actually going to talk about you um, and what you've been able to accomplish by investing in real estate and leveraging your nine to five tech job. So I want to start from the beginning, and I hope this is not too far for you, but I want to know 
What was money like for you when you were growing up? So I've been told even before I can remember that I've always been, uh, I don't want to say obsessed with money, but very focused or money-minded. My grandmother used to joke that if there was change, um, I would always keep it. I always had like coins around. Um, And even in high school, I used to remember going to the mall with everybody. Uh, I've always been a bit frugal, so I wasn't trying to spend my money, but I always realized, so I'm, I'm like ordering the smallest meal, but I could comfortably pay for it where everyone else was like borrowing some money or like, oh, let me not get this because I don't have it. So um, uh, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and at some point in high school and then uh, The Millionaire Mind. Um, so I just always had this thought of like, you know, working. I, I got a job at 15 because in Maryland you could get it at 15 instead of 16 and things along those lines. Um, even when in high school, I remember I was in a science and tech high school uh, and program, I wanted to switch to business. My dad actually told me, he's like, don't, don't do that. He's like, you're, you're good with the computers. That's where you're going to make your money. Don't worry later in life, you can go off and study business and add that on something, which ironically is exactly what happened. Um, but I always thought that, you know, business and money and investing and things like that were just appealing. It seemed, um, I don't know why, to be honest, but I just always you know, was, was drawn to it. Uh, so you know, even heading into school, I ended up adding, I studied computer science, you know, at the behest of my dad, and I added on economics as a second degree later on, because ironically, I was, when I decided to do it, I was too late to get into the business school. Um, I was too late. It was like junior year, but I could add on economics um, easily. So I actually got like a double degree. Um, And that really just helped give me this really strong base in terms of understanding both how markets work, concepts like supply and demand, um, you know, where markets go up, even when the Fed is doing things like, you know, I have an understanding of this that, uh, you know, wasn't, is deeper. And I'm just really an econ and, and money nerd. So yeah, my start early on. Um, and then one other thing to all say is my dad was always an entrepreneur. Uh, he mm. loved to say he was like allergic to a job. Um, he, he was in media for a long time. He was actually a journalist. And then he ran a print shop um, and a travel agency. Uh, we, he didn't believe in selling real estate. So when we moved from our first house to our second house, we kept it as a rental in the house. So uh, his that, you know, imbued a lot on me in terms of running your own company, um, investing in real estate, you know, um, having these multiple sources of income. Uh, those are some things he did. He was really terrible with spending and saving money, though. So he he was great with the income. But luckily, I had my mom for that. So um uh, my mom actually was a nurse, but she had a financial advisor and she saved and yeah, I was really happy to tell my mom one day when she retired that she was a millionaire. And I was like, mom, you came to this country, you were a nurse, uh, you worked for a long time, but because you saved, you've done really well. And she still doesn't care. Um, to be honest, she's just like, well, good. I'm glad I saved the money. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like where I got my start, you know, rooted in my family and, and something like that. I love that. Where's your mom originally from? Uh, both my parents are from Antigua um, originally. That's nice. I love Antigua. I have a special place in my heart for there. So it's interesting, like publishing and travel are not, to my knowledge, related in any way. So why did your dad have those two types of companies? Do you know? Yeah, Um he was, uh, and this is an area I've started to get really interested into as of late, which is just kind of business operators. Uh, I 
he, in terms of the travel agency, and this was around, you know, by the time I was conscious, right? I, I think he may have started after I was born, but you know, by the time I was old enough to remember, that was the company he had. He ran a travel agency. He had an office in D.C. and then one in L.A. Um, not sure how he got started into that. Uh, the printing, he ended up found he was doing, um, this is back before the internet. So he was doing a lot of flyers for promoting the travel agency and things along those lines. He just got into that business. So he started doing the print um, business in addition to the travel agency. Eventually he um, sold the travel agency to actually a, a family member who was also working for the travel agency and continued to run it for several decades later. Um, but yeah, he there was even he ended up going into taxes later on, but uh, that's why I said he was fundamentally allergic to a job. He did not like the really the idea of working for someone else, and um, I think he gravitated to businesses that made sense for him. That he either had an opportunity at the time, and that he knew he could kind of like grow and run um, consistently. And today we would call that a serial entrepreneur because. None of those businesses in my mind are immediately related, but he successfully ran them, sold one, and seemed to have a pretty good run. So that's good. Now, you mentioned that your dad pushed you to kind of stick to the computer science space, but was he, why would he inspire you to do that? Was there someone you knew in the tech space or did he just see the future of tech and where it was going and thought, my son needs to be in this? So when I had a natural proclivity to computers, uh, I'll say at the time I was very much a computer nerd, just like a, a quiet, um, uh, geeky kind of middle school, high schooler. Uh, so he had brought home a, a computer. This is like an Intel 386. So this is what, early 90s, I think. And really obsessed over it. Just, you know, um, before there was even Windows and it was like, you know, the actual terminal, play random games, things along those lines. And when Windows came, um, I remember for Christmas once I got a hard drive and it was a 6.4 gigabyte hard drive. My previous hard drive, I think was two. And I literally like almost fell on the floor out of excitement to have 6.4 gigabytes of storage on my computer. So by time, you know, high school came, I actually had, I was building my own computers. Um, I had gone to like a computer camp one summer for uh, a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, by my senior year, too, I was in like computer programming classes. So he was like given, you know, so he was like, you're already programming. And um, interestingly, too, he actually dropped out of computer science in undergrad. I found this out like, decades later. Um, and he was like, yeah, I always think had I stuck with it, um, what, you know, how much money I would have made or like kind of what my career would have been. So um, he, he did, he was very correct. He just had the foresight. He was like, you know, computers and tech is where he's seeing like money and jobs and opportunities. Uh, business is, you know, no, not to, to anyone who does business because I you know, have that myself too, but he's like, it's a little bit more general and it's, um, if you get business later with the specialization in kind of computers and technology, you know, it will help you better than um, doing just business itself. And, uh, you know, now we can definitely say he had a crystal ball into the future because tech mm -hmm. is a career and, and job path is like blown up. Um, uh, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the fastest growing industries and definitely a space where anyone can make six figures easily because of the expertise, the knowledge and where so many companies are going. So now is the question as to how in the heck did you go from being in tech to launching online media companies? What was the first media company you launched and what idea or action inspired it? Yeah. 
So, um, ironically, I would say I was pseudo in media before I was officially in, in tech. I, I started a blog back in undergrad. Um, it was just called like the Real Thoughts of DP or something like Damian Peters. Um, and it was around dating. Um, at the time, I was I was a bit of an angsty college student. Um, I yeah, I just I just had certain thoughts about like dating and and being in the streets to go out a good bit um, uh, in terms of yeah, women and men. So I just was <laughs> writing this blog, um, and then uh, fast forward a couple of years. Uh, so yeah, you know, I stopped the blog at some point. I kind of you know, but it was interesting to kind of like write and publish online. Uh, I'm a government consultant. Uh, I work at Booz Allen Hamilton. I'm in DC. I actually have a government clearance at this point, and I was dating. Out in the streets, uh, I, was, I was a good bit out the streets. I like buying bottles. Uh, to this day, I still love buying a good bottle. Um, and I'm learning so much about you right now. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the the bottle is a is an ongoing joke. Um, uh, even later in Spain, the clubs in Spain don't close until eight and eight in the morning, which is really great. But so um, at some point, I was basically I was dating someone and. Something happened. I can't remember what, but I was just like, I'm going to take a break from women for like two weeks. I'm just going to like stop dating and focus on me. I realized I had so much extra time <laughs> when I wasn't dating. And that actually prompted Single Black Male, um, which was a dating blog that I started in 2007. And it was a continuation of this idea of like me writing about dating from back in undergrad, but I wanted to be a branded experience. I bought the domain. I you know started writing. Um, and uh, eventually, you know, continued just to write in addition to my day job, uh, eventually went back to dating and, and things like that, but would, you know, write about buying girls drinks in the club or like, you know, the, the rules of engagement, uh, started the site aimed at men saying that men don't have a place to talk and kind of complain about dating and stuff like that. Quickly realized men do not care on the internet about dating and relationships. It's just, they're, they're not going to click on it, but, um, black women really were drawn to the fact that there was a man talking about, stuff that like men don't ever talk about, like why we stop calling or why I'm not trying to buy you a drink in the club or, you know, why you can't just come up to my table and drink from my bottle and, you know, expect to walk away. Anyways, um, stupid stuff that young people do. Uh, that ended up attracting um, one of my co-founders who ended up growing, going on later on to start a, another podcast um, and several others. But we ended up growing that site to four people. We incorporated, um, we started getting big brand deals. Uh, we started doing talks. We hosted happy hours in DC and New York. So we really blew that, what started as just like me talking about girls and dating from this break into um, several different people where we were doing live events, talks, um, and blogs. And we peaked at around half a million like page views per month. Um, so I was really excited to see what we could do. We learned a lot. We grew along with Twitter because we were early on Twitter um, when Facebook came out in terms of utilizing pages. And you just understood a lot about digital marketing. That then, you know, actually kind of led to eventually later on Wealth Noir, because as I was thinking about um, what to do and in, in the concept, and so even while I was at Facebook, we were still running the company. At that point, I, was, I wasn't I was writing anymore. Uh, most of us weren't writing anymore. We had hired writers. We had several different executive editors. We had, you know, operating agreement and and, um, and things, things along those lines, how we actually ran the business. Um, but yeah, it was, there was a lot, there was a lot that I learned from that blog, both 
uh, negotiating equity when you formulate the company. And we had someone who left because they thought their share wasn't fair, but we had like a process that we went through uh, incorporating and, you know, dealing with Delaware versus not Delaware and the various taxes and bookkeeping and all of that good stuff. And a lot of that really helped later on both to you know start the second company and even eventually exit it. We're going to talk about that, guys. Don't worry. We I have some questions here about building a business for acquisition and how that works. But that's really interesting. So your thoughts turned into a business and then led to partnerships. And eventually you started another online business. But what is the state of that website now? Is it still up? Have you taken it down? Like what's going on? Yeah, no. So uh, which one? Single Black Male? Yeah. Yes. No, so you can check it out now, singleblackmail.org. It is still up. It still actually generates a good tens of thousands of people go to that site every month because we were so ingrained and we had so many articles and different sites and Google ranking and things along those lines. Um, Currently contemplating whether to actually bring that company back, relaunch it, and uh, to your point, prepare it for sale and uh, thinking about that. But uh, it's um, for years, and this is one thing too about kind of starting companies and stuff like that. Around 2016, we stopped actively running the site. I actually bought out the rest of the partners. Um, there was some kind of poor management around that time, and it didn't really make sense, I think, to dedicate some time to it. But it continued to generate money, and um, uh, I still can usually buy a beer or two a month just from the you know, passive ad revenue. Awesome. That's really interesting. Have I ever told you about that time I took $40,000 out of life insurance and purchased three properties in one year? Yep, that really happened in 2016. And now the rest is history. I have a real estate portfolio of over $34 million, and it includes apartments, rentals, and hotels. I want to teach you how to leverage life insurance to build your own real estate portfolio and so much more. Check out my new course, The Purpose of Money Maximizer, where I teach you the power of life insurance and why it's a guaranteed way to build generational wealth. I also teach you how to learn exactly how much insurance you need. And in this course, we talk about how to build enough cash in a life insurance policy so that you can use it to invest in real estate just like I did. And there's some additional benefits to life insurance, too, that you might not know about, including living benefits, the ability to pay for college, and how to supplement your retirement income with life insurance. If you're even just slightly curious about this, check out the course, The Purpose of Money Maximizer, at thepurposeofmoneymaximizer.com. That's www.thepurposeofmoneymaximizer.com. Check out the course. See you inside. Now, we started this story talking about how we met via Upwork and Wealth Noir, which was an online publication I wrote for for several years, everything from blogs to interviews and mostly about money. What inspired you to start Wealth Noir? And yeah, let's just start there. What inspired you to start it? Yeah. So I'll say from Single Black Male, uh, that got me excited about entrepreneurship. Um, and in particular, what I like to call part-time entrepreneurship, this idea that I could be running a company on the side that was profitable, that, you know, added fulfillment, um, because government consulting is, you know, it's government consulting. It's, it's um, uh, you know, giving talks in front of like, you know, college students around like dating and, and, and you know, relationships was just like, you know, personally very interesting to me. Um, so 
even after, to the point where I wasn't actively writing and doing as much with single Black male, I always was looking for my next idea. Um, while I was in grad school, uh, it was a, uh, there, there was an, it was a link shortener that was going to be dynamic for app downloads because I was working at Zynga and we had this whole thing about app downloads. Uh, then worked on a dating concierge company. And typically with all of these, I would set up actually a landing page. I would buy ads. I would have a survey. I would actually do a bunch of customer research. I would talk to a bunch of companies. Um, and there were a few other ideas that kept coming. And then one ended up being Wealth Noir. So uh, the start for Wealth Noir was... Um, my wife comes to me, I'm working at Facebook, enjoying Facebook, making very good money. And my wife's like, we're pregnant. And I was like, great, because you know, we've been trying. And so you go, we're pregnant. She's like, are you ever going to see the baby? And I was like, you know, what, what What do you mean by that? She's like, you work all the time. You fly to London three to four times a year. You're in New York like every month, every month or every other month. And then Seattle, like I'll do day trips to Seattle for a meeting. Um, I was like, fair point. I may, it may not be around that much. So I'll take a year off. Um, so I told everybody at work, I was like, I'm planning to take a year off. And they're like, how can you afford a year off? And I was like, we we work at Facebook. We're highly compensated. Why can't anyone here afford a year off? It's just, you know, a year off. Uh, at this point, I had two rental properties, a lot of savings, like several hundred thousand dollars um, just saved and invested both taxable and, and retirement accounts. Um, and I realized, and then when I would go talk to African-Americans, lawyers, doctors, things like that, uh, heads would explode. How can you dare take a, a year off? And I was like, if you're highly compensated, why are people not investing in their you know wealth and their you know um, passive income in other areas? And that was the birth of Wealth Noir. It was uh, I realized for there was a unique opportunity and unique audience for high income African American millennials, and really we expanded to be all millennials, but high income, but not building wealth. They're not investing in real estate. They don't have stock portfolios. They don't understand their money. And that's um, that was a community I uh, specifically connected with. I knew that I could uh, you know, um, reach. And I thought that there would be really great product ideas that we can build and um, directly tar target this audience because they have the assets um, or they have the income and they can build the assets, but they, they're just unaware of what to do. Uh, so... From there, I actually came up with a name, um, uh, eventually landed on Wealth Noir, and I shopped it. I tested it by, we were waiting in brunch one day, uh, going to brunch one day in Oakland, and I asked like three women who passed by um, and this other guy what they liked, what they thought of the name Wealth Noir. And then I told them the concept, and they're like, oh, that sounds really nice. And I was like, great, that, that's the user validation need. I'll start there. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Love it. And you asked total strangers, so they had no reason to lie to you. Um, but I love it because it definitely had like a upscale type of feel to it. Um, most people don't know noir is black and in um French. French. Yeah. yeah. And then you have the wealth. So I think it's a perfect combination and I love that you tested it. But I am not surprised because I am also in the financial space and I meet a lot of professionals who make good money and they just don't know what to do with it. So I'm glad that you sought out to fill that demand and you ran Wealth Noir for several years. How did you get to the point of it being acquired? Were, was that an intentional move or was that something that just happened by pure luck? So I won't say pure luck, but it was not, you know, I, I didn't see, I wasn't seeking an acquisition at the time. And um, 
I know a lot more about acquisitions now than, you know, kind of at, <laughs> less than a year ago when I was going through the process, but it actually started with a, a DM on LinkedIn. So um, I am 100% sold on LinkedIn as a platform. Like, honestly, my DMs in LinkedIn have led to hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, <laughs> like several jobs um, and my acquisition. But it was someone who I worked with at Facebook. Uh, we actually started at Facebook on the same day together, both as product managers. And I get a DM saying like, hey, we've raised a couple million dollars with my co-founder. We're starting a uh, fintech company focused on wealth management and financial advisory. Uh, would you be interested? And I wrote, not to brag anything, I've gotten several of these messages before. I actually even had another friend who was actually raising for another financial fintech company who I went to um, uh, MIT with. Uh, so I was like, send me over the deck, you know, I'll look at it. Uh, the deck really sold me on the company. I was like, I really like this idea. And I actually had really contemplated taking Wealth Noir and starting financial advisory. Quick sidebar, um, while the cost can be high, so I don't necessarily say it, I recommend it for every single person, but um, working with a financial advisor is the kind of most consistent way I found for someone to handle their money. Um, one thing with Wealthmore, I always say there was a tactical and emotional aspect. Tactically, we could teach people, and that was easy for us. We could teach you how to create a, uh, um, an investment portfolio, uh, how to think about a stock and bond allocation, how to invest in real estate. The emotional part was super hard for us. Uh, a lot of people would know everything they needed to know. They've written 82 books. They have and this is a personal story. Um, a friend, $90,000 in the bank in cash. And was like, I want to invest in real estate. And I said, he was earning a quarter of a million dollars at the time. Um, and I was like, invest in real estate. I don't understand the problem. He, you know, he couldn't get over the emotional purpose, um, part of it. But I told myself in terms of turning Wealth Noir into this type of business, it would require more capital and people than I was comfortable with doing at the time. I started Wealth Noir as more of a lifestyle business. The aim was um, to move to Spain and, and spend time with the family. Um, so when we started talking, um, we started talking specifically about the role first. What were they looking, um, uh, who were they looking for? Kind of what, what, what were they needing in terms of the company? And then second, we started talking about what, not just Damien Peters, but Damien Peters and Wealth Noir. This is what we call a aqua hire. It's an acquisition and hire. Um, very like common. In, yeah, uh, very common in tech, but it means that in addition to the company, one of the key resources they're looking for is actually the talent and the people as opposed to just like you know, the physical infrastructure. Um, so when we, uh, so we continue to talk about both the role and in particular, when I, what I thought at this time was for me to take this role, I'm very excited about this role. I cannot give Wealth Noir the attention and the need, the, you know, the desire it needs to grow. But I think that what I've built with Wealth Noir will actually be um, amazing to enhance what we're going to be doing at this company in terms of the marketing, growing an audience, and things along those lines. So, um, after a couple months of negotiation and back and forth, and you know, like numbers and terms, and also you know whether I, one big part too was whether I wanted to work at the company. I met with everyone at the company. Um, I was going to be employee number eight, um, and the co-founder. Uh, I will say was one thing that drew me to him. He had sold two companies prior um, for quite, you know, exits. The amount of money and the quality of venture capital they had raised uh, just with a deck, two people, was very, very good. I talked to a lot of my friends in other tech companies, um, some who had sold their companies in the last year. And so everything really looked good and it seemed like a really great opportunity. Um, one thing personally motivating me too, both in terms of joining the company and selling my company, was uh, years ago I had an offer to be the first product manager at Robinhood. 
Um, this was back when I was at Facebook. There were only like 300 people. They were worth well under a billion dollars. And I was like, I don't know if this company is going to kind of like really, you know, hit it big or not. Um, at least at their peak, I looked back at my original offer letter. My equity alone would have been worth around $4.3 million. Uh, so, you know, I, I I kind of did look a little bit as this like, well, do I have another chance to get into a fintech company at a really good place that matches, you know, both my aims and aspirations? And um, that was kind of you know, what I did. And so, um, yeah, back in January, we kind of finalized everything. Uh, at the time, I was actually working at City Ventures. I was working at Citibank, working for innovation as an entrepreneur in residence there. Uh, so I left City. Um, joined um, the uh, acquiring company and then um, moved over um, the team and uh, several of the assets uh, to be part of the new company. Wow, that's a very interesting story. And you, so many things. Like, I feel like there's a whole nother episode we could do on um, acquisitions and just preparing your company for that space and how to navigate and, and, and missed opportunities. I mean, Robinhood, obviously, we know now is huge. Um, it's had some challenges in the past, you know, GameStop and et cetera, but they are still um, a highly used tech company, app company to buy stock. So that's just crazy. But you set yourself up for success by being in the tech space. So I'm going to pivot a little bit now because I want to also talk about how you were able to move to Spain for two years and pretty much make work optional. Um, what was it that you did to prepare your family for the move to Spain? And what did you do while you were there? Yeah. All right. So the move to Spain, um, uh, the all right. In terms of preparing my family, that was actually a multi-year process. <laughs> uh, so I had the bright idea to move abroad. Um, I told my wife and she was like, sure. I was like, what does sure mean? Like, you know, I'm like, I don't, are you in love with this or not? She was like, if you want to move abroad, we can move abroad. Uh, I, and I told her this, I was like, this is a setup because if you don't like moving abroad, then it's my fault. And I don't, I want you to be as excited as I am. So this started a multi-year campaign of taking her to London and we went to France, we went to Thailand. Um, I was talking with different companies and different offices. Uh, I was talking about transferring to the Facebook London office. Uh, there was a company I interviewed with in Bangkok. Um, France had certain roles to the Facebook office there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and what really kind of tipped the scale was when our baby was born. So after leaving Facebook, um, I actually joined a nonprofit. Um, I'm actually on the board of them now called Dev Color, focused on Black software engineers. So I'm working there along with working on Wealth Noir. Um, and one day, I think the baby was two months, and she was like, I'm ready to move abroad. I was like, you know what? She was like, I just really thought about it. Like, if we don't do it now, it's always going to be harder. He's going to be like in school and have like really commitment to friends. So, and I was like, great. You know, and so I'm like, let me, you know, I pull out my list of like 35 countries and she's like, no, you can move to Italy or Spain. They have good health care. They're comfortable. I'm down with those two. I was like, say less. Let's Italy go. <laughs> Let's go. So pick Spain because um, Spanish was a little bit more useful than Italian. Um, although I, I think I'd like Italy to live there as a country, but Spain was it was a ton of fun. Um, and then we went through the process of actually getting prepared. Uh, we started doing some research more in terms of what it would look like. What would we do? We actually contemplated, um, you know, there was a whole little chart, right? Either we both go there and we pick, we go there and get jobs. 
Um, we go there without jobs or we kind of like go there with fake jobs. Like we work, look to work part-time or remote or something along those lines. And, you know, there's different qualities of life, right? You know, we get a cheap apartment. We don't work. Um, we get jobs um, over there and we live our comfortable lifestyle. Uh, but at the time too, um, I like to say I had been saving and investing. I didn't know for what. I had a few hundred thousand dollars in the bank and I had the two rental properties and I didn't know what I was saving for. I just knew I wanted to save a ton of money. I was very focused. I was very aggressively saving. We were saving about 40 to 50% of our income um, each year at this time. Um, and we went to, uh, we, we did some research. We decided to move to Barcelona. As soon as you Google move to Barcelona, they tell you why Valencia is better. So we said, Okay, let's go to Valencia. Uh, we took our son. We actually went there for two weeks. Um, we did a test run. We found daycare. We found apartments. We found a realtor. Um, and we both really, really liked it. We enjoyed it. We thought it would be a good move. And uh, we planned for six months. It was like six or eight months to close, wind everything down, figure out the jobs um, we were going to do and, and get the visas and um, made a plan and executed against it. Uh, I will say... And I didn't realize this until after we did it and we're in Spain. It was way more work than than I did anticipate. Super optimistic. Hey, this isn't easy. We just go to the consulate. We send some stuff. We'll call some movers and then boom, we'll be in Spain. Um, they seem to speak pretty good English. I think we'll be all right. They don't speak pretty good English. <laughs> um, the, the movers told us like two months. It was like seven or some some nonsense uh the ship got delayed or or, or something um and then you know don't get me started with the pandemic uh being in the pandemic during spain versus not but uh amazing experience um both in terms of working abroad living abroad understanding europe um even for me professionally understanding the tech scene um one thing i definitely realized is coming from silicon valley and being in spain you're somewhat of a celebrity. It's like, you know, tech. I, I got to meet with more C-suite executives of multi-billion dollar um, tech companies than I ever have uh, in my life. And yo puedo hablar español. Or... Okay. Okay. I hear you. <laughs> so so what made you come back? I mean, if you're pseudo-celebrity, uh, work optional, I know you also did work or consult while you were there. Why come back? Yeah. Um, so one is, my wife did not enjoy um, our time as much as I did. She was, there were, there are definitely some creature comforts and um, fundamentally it's, it is a different world. All right. So I thought it would be kind of like, all right, this is Europe. It's like first world Europe. So it's like America, but they speak Spanish. No, no, no. It was like fundamentally different in good ways and bad ways. Um, small things like Supermarkets close on Sunday. If you have a kid and you need milk on a Sunday, this actually is like a non-trivial thing. Um, stuff closes really early. Every The bureaucracy to deal with. So this didn't you know appeal to her as much. Um, but we had set for ourselves a two-year time frame. So we would go for two years and each person had a six-month um, veto. After six months, someone could say, I hate it so much. I want to move back to America. Um, and then at the end of two years, we would discuss in terms of extending. Uh, she didn't hate it enough to exercise her veto and force us to move early, but she was not interested in extending it uh, to stay there. Okay. Um, one other thing too is in terms of, I was consulting in Spain and I was working at a startup there. I was leading product at the organization. It was fun and interesting. Spanish salaries are not American salaries, like at all. The first job offer I got was for 45,000 uh, full-time jobs. 
this was approximately 15 per, like I got bonuses that were like this amount um when, you know when working in tech for this entire um salary so uh actually working in Spain um you know was 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 different uh um while and then when you work for an American company you get you're you're living the life right because you're essentially making it into crazy money but the time difference um, became hard, things along those lines. So uh, while I definitely would have stayed um, either in Spain or personally, I would love to go to another country. I'm obsessed with Holland. Uh, I just went back to Holland a couple months ago. Um, uh, wife was ready to come back. And, you know, as one thing I have learned longer in life has been happy wife, happy life. Absolutely. I second that. So um, you definitely gave us a lot there, especially some of the pros and cons to being an expatriate, a.k.a. someone who's living abroad. I personally have lived in Italy. I lived there for a year in grad school, and I do say I love it. It's a great place to live, great food, but you're right. I have not used Italian since. So I do commend you for picking a language and a country that could be more useful to you after your experience abroad. So... I think you've covered all the questions I had about living abroad, preparing your family for that experience, building a online business that can be acquired, and so much more. This is a really good interview. But my last question for you is the signature question I ask all my guests. The name of the podcast is called The Purpose of Money. So I want to know, what is your purpose for money? Yeah. I've struggled with this a lot over the years, to be honest. Um, early on in life, I like listen. I love rap. Listen to a lot of rap, and so um, I always wanted a Rolex. And so a lot of it was like I wanted a Rolex and a nice car. And I was like, I, I want money, and the, the purpose is to have a Rolex, a nice car, and buy bottles. Uh, and I always like to say, when I bought a Ro- when I could afford a Rolex, I was like, I could buy, I could invest this money instead. Or um, this is like halfway to another rental property. Um, so at some point, then it, you know, my goals changed and, you know, the point of investing became different. It became to like amass my net worth and grow my net worth and hit certain numbers. Um, as I started to hit those numbers, I kind of started to question like, well, what is the purpose of having all this net worth and money? So um, right now, the purpose of money for me is is freedom. Um, and I know it's a bit of a cliche thing uh, right now with FIRE community, and uh, but I think we are starting to realize that, you know, time is one of the things that we don't, that doesn't change. It doesn't, we don't get back. We can't earn. It doesn't go back up in a market. It's it's the one, um, uh, you know, inflexible. Uh, I've also realized some things about my own personal self. Uh, corporate America has been hard for me. It is, is, is um, it is, you know, can be tiring and things along those lines. Uh, I, um, while I loved the experience of both being acquired and joining that company, I actually left uh, recently in July. Um, I have a daughter coming in the uh, in December, so in just uh, just six weeks now, um, we're out for that. And I've committed now to not go back to a full time role until 2024, um, and that is because. I've, you know, have enough with my rental properties and kind of, you know, some of the income and how I both manage my money and finance to get some of that freedom. So for me, the purpose of money has been that flexibility. I love that if I get were to get laid off or or something like that, uh, which happened early in my career, I can survive. If my me and my wife want to spend time with a new kid, we we have that time. And um, right now I'm actually pursuing 
some other pursuits. I'm going to be a professor starting uh, in January. <laughs> yeah, I'll be teaching a class on technology ventures and marketing at University of Colorado. Um, I started a new newsletter um, called The Pragmatic Mr. Peters, uh, focused more on, you know, this lifestyle design and kind of this freedom and flexibility. And uh, the purpose of money to me is really to both give me the freedom and uh, it is also the safety net. Like the, the truth is, when bad stuff happens, I feel way more comfortable now than I did, you know, 10 years ago. And uh, with kids and stuff, that's just, you know, it, it really does help me sleep a lot at night. That is amazing. So congrats on the baby on the way and the professorship. That's pretty dope. You know, you're big when you start to teach other people stuff and it actually matters because it's a grade behind it. <laughs> So congrats. So now I can call you Professor Peters as well. Well, thank you so much for being on the Purpose of Money podcast. Before we leave, I want you to please tell everyone, how do we find you, follow you, and just keep up with the new Damien Peters? Yeah, pragmaticpeters.com. So um, that's that's the new newsletter. Um, It's continuing from actually what we built with Wealth Noir, but this one's going to be, I like to say it's not about me, but it, I want to deliver value based on kind of what I've done and, and the things that people find interesting that I've done. Uh, I normalize everything that I do. Moving to Spain was just a thing that I did. Um, but at pragmaticpeters.com, and we even have some of the old team with me, uh, you'll be able to find things about taking uh, taking breaks from work, um, how to invest, uh, investing in real estate, and really using money to build more freedom and flexibility in your life. In a very pragmatic approach. Yes, pragmatic. I love it. Thank you so much, guys. I'll make sure to include links to everything in the show notes. So make sure you check it out. And don't forget to check out the book recommendations that Damien gave us earlier in the episode. Until next time, keep building generational wealth. Thank you for listening to the Purpose of Money podcast. For more resources and information, check out my website, thepurposeofmoney.com. And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter so you have the latest information on new episodes and blog posts. Until next time, keep creating freedom in your life today.